Now, the accountability partner no one asked for, Kevin McCreary. Here's Say Goodnight, Kevin. How's it going, everyone? I'm so excited to be sitting here with uh, Cyrus Narasta. I mean, sitting here is the equivalent of sitting here in this time where we have to sit with people across the internet. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So you are the director of a brand new movie that came out this past week. And uh, I didn't hear a ton about it until I started seeing promotions for it. But apparently it's doing really well. It's the film Infidel starring Jim Caviezel. How's it going? I mean, you told me that it's going pretty well. Yeah, we had a we had a great weekend. I mean, look, we're talking about COVID deflated numbers. There's a lot of theaters that are only allowing 50% occupancy. Uh, a lot of other theaters are only allowing 30%. And, and people have only just started to go back to the movies in the last month. They're going back, but not in droves. Yeah. They're going back in a small kind of steady number. I talked to a um, theater manager and he said to me that, frankly, 10 to 12 people in a room is a good night. So that's for one showing in this COVID deflated sort of, you know, box office. We did very well. More importantly, we're going to hang on to screens and we're probably going to stay on screens for a while. And for a small independent film, that's a big deal, because usually what happens with independent films is you get pushed out after a week or two by the big boys you know, some new Marvel movie comes along or some other tentpole franchise movie comes along and you're, you're, uh, you're out. No matter how well you're doing, by the way, because, you know, there's deals for those kinds of movies. They're from the pipeline of the yeah. big studios. That's just the reality. In this environment, however, many of the big movies that were supposed to be out this year already or we're going to come out between now and the end of the year have been pushed to 2021, which is going to be a very crowded field. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's going to be like double the movies. I don't know if it'd be double, but it'll be crowded for especially the first four or five months. Second half of the year won't be as crowded because there hasn't been as much production this year. Yeah, that's true. We decided to sort of take a roll of the dice. Let's go. Let's go. Now the exhibitors really wanted product. Some of them are fighting for survival. So in this sort of (laughs) unusual, unprecedented situation, also a very uncertain situation, we're very pleased with the numbers we got. That's awesome. Were you expecting kind of, or you just were uncertain as to how this would play out? There were zero expectations because because it was such an unprecedented situation. We have very good, we have very good reps, very good distribution people. The guys at Cloudburst are first rate. Um, Our marketing people are first rate. Uh, even though it's a small movie. And basically everybody said, we don't have a clue. Yeah. We just, we just, you know, we, we really don't know. Um, and I commend them for, you know, taking the shot because a lot of people would have played it safe. Yeah. You know, well, this movie isn't one to play it safe. I think from the outset, you weren't looking to play it safe with this film. You are taking us on a journey to explore something that, people should know about, but don't. I know it says it's inspired by a true story. These right, it's types inspired of stories. by actually multiple true stories. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, that was probably the biggest thing that I wondered about because when I watched it, I was like, well, this, I don't know a lot about the politics, but if this is real, then I'm glad that a movie is showing us this stuff, but also is a well-made movie. Well, thank you. I mean, no, this movie takes on and tackles a lot. And some of them are really horrific stories. The most, I think, agonizing is the story uh, involving Robert Levinson, who disappeared from Keish Island in 2007 and 2011. He was photographed in a prison in Tehran during the nuclear deal. Uh, certain members of Congress were trying to get him back as part of the agreement. And then the Iranians denied they ever held him. Hmm. So just this year, I believe his family was notified, I, I believe by the State Department, uh, that they believe that Levinson died in captivity. Now, that is a horrible story. Nobody knows it. Yeah. Nobody's heard of Robert Levinson. Now, there's others. There's Jason Rezion. There's uh, Michael White. Zhu Wang, a Chinese-American graduate student who was studying in Iran, and he gets arrested. I mean, there's been a number of them. And there's a whole other number of them that are Iranian-Americans with very strong-sounding Iranian names like mine, who obviously aren't going to get the same kind of press. But if your name is Michael White, uh, that's an American, <laughs> and that should be getting a lot of press. It didn't. You know, both between the kidnapping stuff and also this underground church led by women who are finding freedom in Christianity out of their abusive situations. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, Iran has the second most converts to Christianity after China. Nobody knows that. There are many Iranians who are sort of have become disconnected from Islam because that is sort of the religion of the or the perverted religion of the oppressors, uh, the ayatollahs and the clerics in Iran who run the country there. I think that a lot of them have sort of lost their passion for Islam. And you gotta understand that comparatively, Islam came quite late to Iran. And it's not as tied into the cultural heritage mm. of Iran as say, the Arab countries in the Middle East, whose language and ties go back much deeper to Islam and the founding of the religion. Islam came to Iran via the sword many centuries after Muhammad. So the Iranian people identify themselves predominantly with their own ancient cultural heritage. They see themselves as Persians. They speak a distinct and different language from the other countries of the Middle East. They're not Arabs, they're Persians. So that separation, I think, is key. And um, I just felt that this isn't just a story about an American who happens to be detained in Iran and his wife who goes and gets him, but also sort of unfolding what's going on underground in Iran, which is this Christian movement, as well as a movement amongst Muslims, amongst Jews, amongst Baha'is, in Iran against their oppressors. And all of these sort of groups kind of get involved in helping this American couple. 
Now, I had read that you had mentioned that you decided to work with Dinesh D'Souza on this film because you appreciated him as a filmmaker, but he's also somebody who you may or may not always agree with politically. I really appreciate that, that you are willing to sit down and work with somebody who you disagree with politically. Uh, Do you feel like that's something that is becoming harder and harder to do just in Hollywood in general, to find working with somebody who disagrees with you to actually sit down and work with you? It's very hard. Hollywood has got a very uh, strong herd mentality. You sort of got to go along with the herd. And everybody just assumes that everybody else agrees with you on everything. Yeah. You can't agree on some things and disagree on a few other things. You got to agree on everything. So, and if you dare to separate yourself in some capacity, even on just certain issues. Then you're the enemy. Then you're the other side. <laughs> you kind of get pigeonholed as the enemy. You're right. Yeah. Now, I, I've been working in Hollywood a long time, probably about, I don't know, almost 35 years. And I had a well-established reputation working in television, miniseries and movies until, and, and then I was kind of attacked, outed, whatever you want to say, for you know possibly leaning conservative because of a miniseries I made in 2006 called The Path to 9-11, which was a two-night ABC miniseries, $40 million miniseries, major presentation that dared to show that Bill Clinton had opportunities to uh, get Bill Naden pre-9-11. This caused a firestorm because Hillary was just starting her run for the presidency, uh, her first run. And this is back in 06. Now, the miniseries also showed the mistakes that were made by the other side of the aisle. Sure. But it was only one side that came after me, and that was the Clintons and their allies. And they came after me hard, and they tried to expose me as this evil right-winger in Hollywood. And so I kind of got outed by that. But luckily, I had enough relationships, professional relationships in Hollywood with a lot of decent people. That I continued to work. And then it also, though, shifted me into a more entrepreneurial mentality of trying to get my own movies made and trying to direct more and just, you know, go in that direction. I think there are a lot of people in Hollywood who don't give a hoot about the politics, who could care less if you're a down the line, left leaning radical like everybody else tries to present themselves as. Yeah. But they don't speak up. They don't want to stick out. They want to preserve their career. And furthermore, politics aren't just, aren't that important to them. But then there's other people for whom politics is very important and is everything. It's a shame because I think there's a lot of value to be gained by a kind of dialogue. (laughs) But you could say it's not just Hollywood. You could say that for the country right now. Yeah. You've kind of dipped your toes in kind of what people would label as the Christian movie industry or like the the world of Christian films. Are there any sort of negative aspects of hopping into that realm? Well, there may be for other people. Yeah. (laughs) Looking at me and looking at my career, I could care less. Yeah. If I sat around and worried about the chatter, I'd be paralyzed. I wouldn't be able to do anything. I'm very proud of uh, The Young Messiah, uh, which was my previous film, which is a studio Mm -hmm. movie. Um, Chris Columbus was the producer on that. And he goes, I hate it that people call these faith-based movies. Yeah. Or Christian movies. He goes, when I was a kid, we went and watched Ben-Hur. We went and watched The Greatest Story Ever Told. And these were movies made by major directors. 
uh, William Wyler, George Stevens, John Houston. They made these, you know, big movies dealing with Jesus and God and, and, and faith. They weren't called faith-based or Christian movies. They were just movies. They were spectacles. They were epics. And everybody went. Then that changed because I, I think part of it was that Mel Gibson had the audacity to make a movie that every studio in Hollywood passed on. Yeah. And made a couple billion dollars on it. Why do you think they don't make those anymore? I actually think some of them would like to, but they mm. don't care about the subject enough. Mm. I think they would like to get Some of them have said to me, gee, I'd like to get in and get some of that money out there. You know, they don't do it very well. They don't understand it. and They don't know how to market it. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I've seen is, you know, growing up very deep in a conservative Christian world, when I see some of these studio-made Christian movies, I immediately notice like, well, they didn't realize that that's going to trigger some uh, <laughs> some Christians, sure. you know? No, that that's true. I mean, I, you can tell when they're pandering, but at the same time, I think Christians need to loosen up. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, I do that. I mean, look, you can tell from my movie. I, I think they should. Uh, the bottom line. Have you gotten some pushback for this movie? Because I mean, this no, movie I is more, rough. I got more on the Young Messiah, but yeah. this is an R-rated film. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's no sex in it. Okay, yeah. so it's R for violence and for language. There's a lot of f bombs. I got pushback more on Young Messiah because we're portraying uh, young Jesus. Mm. But you know, it's like, for example, on Infidel. One thing that Americans don't realize. Christians may, may, they may not even realize as well. When you go into the Middle East, I spent a lot of time in the Middle East. I know it very well. One of the first questions you're going to get asked is, what's your faith? Mm. What's your religion? Where do you practice? Where's your church? How often do you go to church? In the Middle East, it's a big deal. Okay? And especially people in Hollywood, they live in their little bubble, you know, of yeah, you know, secular identity and uh, worship of climate change. And it's just like, come on, you mean religion is important to people? We thought it was just those strange people in flyover country. Uh, no, get on a plane and go to the Middle East. You'll find out. You'll find out. You'll, you'll, you'll run into people who care about religion a lot. Yeah. And they'll be in your face about it. <laughs> you know, uh, I think as a Middle East thriller, I haven't seen a lot of them that actually delve into these issues of, okay, how do Muslims perceive Jesus? Um, Is there a dialogue that goes on between the Abrahamic religions? You're darn right there is. There are conferences that go on throughout the Middle East all the time, just like the one in, in Cairo in the movie. So this is a very much a part of daily life over there. And for Christians here, I know Christians here who've been invited to the Middle East to uh, conferences, to talk about religion, to debate religion. But see, when you live in your bubble here in the States or in Hollywood, it's like, gee, that's weird behavior. Oh, gee, that's a Christian film. Oh, gee, that's a... No, it's not. It's real life. Yeah. I don't know what I was expecting, but to go into it and see this balance, having that conversation on TV of, yes, we love Jesus, but, you know, the conviction of Jim Caviezel's character to say, well, I don't want to leave this conversation without properly representing. Because if you were to say that Christians don't believe that Jesus is God, he would be lying. He just wouldn't be answering the question properly. So, you know, even in the context of a Christian film, it felt very organic to the film to have him express that there because 
that's what that character would do in that situation. I think that's often one of my frustrations with Christian films is the shoehorned in gospel presentation that feels so obligatory, you know, rather than being organic to the story. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. And um, that's very important to me. And I feel that it is organic in our story. But fundamentally, you know, like once he gets kidnapped, especially in the movie, I hope I'm not giving away too much here, but from then on, it's a thrill ride. I mean, those issues are present throughout, like the underground church you mentioned and, and all of it. But it's a thrill ride. I mean, it's it's, it's a suspense film, you know, and, and I think it plays on that level. But what separates it from a lot of other Middle East thrillers or born identity thrillers or anything is that it's at the heart of a man's relationship with his faith, with God, and those of the people who are trying to extract something from him. Yeah, I think that your bad guy, quote unquote, in the film, uh, yeah. he's my favorite character in the movie. His name is, yeah, his name is Ramsey. He's a Hezbollah guy with an English accent, grew yeah. up in East London. Yeah. Yeah, he's funny. He's charming. Like it's a, <laughs> bad guys are difficult to portray in movies, especially if it's something that maybe the filmmaker disagrees with. So I think that this portrayal of somebody who you understand his motivation, not that it convinces you to think like him, but you understand why he thinks the way he does. Absolutely. His name is Hal Ozone, the actor. And Hal uh, was a very hot actor years ago, uh, Dawson's Creek, but he hasn't, he hadn't acted for a while. He'd been going, his career had been going in a different direction as a writer and a, and a producer. I didn't know him. I was writing the script. I'm, I, this is where I sit and write, actually, right in front of you here. I was writing here the script, and I was writing this East London accent because I've met a lot of guys in London who are guys like this, who are um, grew up in the UK, but have become radicalized because to a certain extent, they're conflicted. They're very Western in their orientation and mm. in their upbringing, but they're a little ashamed of that. They're ashamed that they aren't the authentic deal, that they don't speak the language perfectly, that they didn't grow up back there. So in a way, these guys become even more radicalized because of their disconnection. So I'd met a lot of guys like that. So I'm writing this East London accent. I happened while I was writing the script to get invited to a um, cigar party in the Valley uh, by a friend. And I'm at this party we're outdoors, we're all smoking cigars. And I hear some guy 20 feet away talking rather loudly and kind of obnoxiously in this (laughs) East London accent. So I turned around and looked at him and I looked and I thought, you know, that guy could look, looks like he could be from the Middle East. So I basically made my way over there and started chatting with him. We talked for a while and I realized he's of uh, Turkish origin and he was right. He's writing and, you know, trying to develop shows and not really acting as much. He had been an actor. and I didn't talk to him about the script. I didn't talk to him about the project at all, but I left that party convinced he was the guy because there was an edge of danger and appeal about him. He had charisma. And I thought, boy, if I could have a villain like that. And then that story that he tells uh, Jim Caviezel's character while he's holding him, which is basically his justification, a kind of a horrible story about how he was four years old with his mother and they got attacked by some skinheads in London. He told me that story in the hotel where we were filming in Jordan. He told it to me the way he told it to 
to Jim Caviezel in the movie. And, and, and there was some anger and rage underneath it, and, but also a lot of reason and justification there. And I loved it. And I said, Let, we're, that's going in the movie. It's really fascinating to find out that that's a true story because you could you could yeah. feel that in the film. You know, I think it's important as a director oftentimes to talk to your actors mm. and find out what's within them and their experience that you can pull out, use for your film, you know, without getting too intrusive into their personal life. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about the ending when I'm going to try not to spoil the movie too much because I do think it would be great if people went and saw it. Um, Personally, uh, I guess I was expecting a little bit of a, uh, I guess, a a sacrificial ending on the part of uh, Jim Caviezel. Mainly because you have Ramsey. Yeah. He says that, you know, the difference between you and I is that we're willing to die for mm-hmm. what we believe. Interesting. So I, I kind of felt like it was set up for him to, uh, to yeah. then sacrifice himself. Well, let's, let's put it this way. That actually was considered. I made a film in 2009 called The Stoning of Soraya M. It's a true story of a stoning incident in Iran. Film I'm very proud of, but it's a downer. Okay. It's like, it's a story, you know, you're telling a true story about what happens under Sharia law. And on this movie, I wanted to do sort of a crowd pleasing thriller that goes into that world and goes on the edge of a sort of a bad ending, but doesn't go all the way. I got you. Call me a sellout. Yeah, man. (laughs) Well, I was wondering, there's a part at the end, I won't like give too much of it away, but there's a part where there's some hand holding that shows kind of a connection between uh, Mm -hmm. these two characters. I have my speculations as to what that means, but what- Well, I just think that, you know, the way we were talking about it is that Jim Caviezel's character that he plays is not an action hero. This is not a Liam Neeson movie. He's not Matt Damon in Born Identity. He's basically just a citizen. He's just a guy. Yeah. You know? And so he doesn't go around beating people up and escaping by himself from situations that no one could escape from. Uh, he doesn't kill people. That's just not the kind of character that he is. So if he's in a position where he's hurt someone, fundamentally, he's a Christian. And I think that his action there at the end of the movie, in a way, is to save others, the others that are around him. So he tosses this thing back and then, oh, it does some damage. And he goes and checks on this guy. And it's just like, and he has a connection with this guy. Yeah. They've been through something together. You know, that final scene really seems to play for uh, people and- you know, there's nothing said between them. It's all silent. So, you know, uh, it's I, I'm proud of the scene. I'm proud of the actors more than anything else. One thing that people have to realize is that directing so much of it, it gets lost in conversations, is uh, performances, is actors, is their ideas, their delivery. They are your movie. They're your story. Actors are your story. It's not about shots. It's not about lighting. It's about the actors. Yeah. Well, you you pick some great ones because there is nuance to this story. And without the facial expressions and the delivery and the like, even the stories that they brought to the role, the movie wouldn't work as well. I think it's a solid script, but I think then that gets elevated by everything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
it, you know, the script doesn't go anywhere if you don't cast the right actors who then bring more to it. I mean, I think Claudia Carvan, who plays uh, Liz, who plays uh, Jim Caviezel's wife, I'm, she's tremendous in this movie. Yeah. She's tre- a tremendous actress. And and she uh, brings a lot to it. She brings a lot of, you can tell that she loves this guy and she cares about him, but he's also very ex- exasperating to her. And they've been through a lot together. And you get a sense of a history to this relationship between the two of them. And that's hard to pull off. You think uh, you think there's going to be any Oscar campaign for this film? I would doubt it. You would doubt it. <laughs> I, I wanted to I, ask. I'm sorry. I just doubt it. Uh, first of all, Dinesh D'Souza's name is attached to the mm-hmm. And especially if the election doesn't go the way that a lot of people in Hollywood want it to go. Yeah. There's going to be such rancor. Um, I don't think there should be rancor necessarily against this movie specifically, no. but I'm just saying in general. It's so fascinating because I was really expecting something different, I guess, but like there's nothing like right wing about it. It's a fascinating <laughs> story. In fact, I wrote in my write up about it was that if you watched 24, like there's nothing more problematic in 24 than in this movie. Like maybe now in 2000. 20 this is controversial but there's nothing about it that is like controversial especially days after literally days after the iranian government hangs a national wrestling champion for anyone to accuse us of being extreme and how we depict the iranian regime in this movie they can't and furthermore we have muslim characters in our story who are very much on the side of our heroes and trying to help them. Mm-hmm. That was all very important to me. And by the way, it's true. <laughs> you know, I mean, they shot uh, 1,500 demonstrators in no, uh, last November. It, w- it was actually the order was given by Soleimani, who was later hit by the drone strike in January of this year. You know, those 1,500 demonstrators were overwhelmingly Muslims who were shot by their own Islamic Republic. I think that's important. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to show what happens when evil people are in power and are are yeah. real, you know, real evil people. I think that there's a lot of hyperbole in in the United States today, and part of that is the fact that we live in a pretty pretty comfortable place, and uh, we don't know what it's like. I mean, you in other countries, you have a lot of corruption. That here, at least, they try to hide it, uh, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that they feel they have to yeah. is a testament to the fact that. They can't get away with as much, um, sure. hopefully. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show and talking about this stuff. Uh, is there anything that you want people to to go to? I mean, I guess you want them to go see the movie. That would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'd be great. I think we're uh, one of the best things about having a solid weekend like this is we're going to stay on screens for a while. And, you know, I urge people to go see it and uh, reach out to me on Twitter or or Instagram or wherever. I'm not, I'm not so strong on Facebook because I'm interested in what people have to say about the movie. And I do, I try to respond to everyone. So, um, and, and Kevin, I appreciate what you've written about the movie and, um, let's see what happens. Cool.